0: My name is Robert Higgins.
1: And I'm Kay Tuxford.
0: And this is episode 52 of Screenwriting from the Trenches, a podcast about the crafted expression of screenwriting in all of its forms uh, from the perspective of writers just like you. Um, yeah, uh, this week we're doing a craft episode on the subject of dialogue. Um, Kay Tuxford is just saying that she does not the, like the fact that I've spelled it in the outlaw D I a L O R L O G without the U E. Um, because yeah. that's I a I spell this was, the American way, the, the American uh, English way. <laughs> uh
1: Kate, Kate i Katie's making
0: a face like she just smelled shit. Um, I
1: feel, I feel like this spelling of dialogue is reminiscent of the American exception exceptionalism that led us to be assholes to begin with, and we should just conform to the regular fine. Wow
0: dialogue wow kate uh, talks about making toxic sentiments on the podcast uh we have that on record uh but before we get to our discussion of how we should spell the word i guess uh, we must as always discuss what is screenwriting twitter fighting slash talking about this week and with that take it away zach
1: it's just another day in screenwriting drama screenwriting drama screenwriting drama it's just another day in screenwriting drama it's another day in screenwriting drama thank you zach what can't zach do i think zach could write a song and solve all of our problems
0: yeah he's pretty good with that like you know it feels like he should be like one of those dudes that like does like um like tom wilson you ever seen tom wilson's act like most of it is with a guitar
1: he um, has a great parody right now that I just saw it this week, by the way. Well, we should link it in the show notes. Uh, uh, Pokemon, the theme song. Uh,
0: I'm Wilson with, sees Pokemon. The no, theme song. no,
1: Zach, Zach. Oh, Zach.
0: Okay. Yes. All right. Yes. Uh, and
1: it's, a par- it's a parody of Pokemon about Coverfly and trying to get on the red list. So I feel it's very apropos. All
0: right. Yeah, we'll link that. Uh, yeah. I'll check. I'll check that out um so first thing that people were upset about um was there was this whole thing um going through where like there was this collective question I don't know why Hollywood does this I guess they sort of let it out under the guise of no press no no there's no such thing as bad press but there was this whole thing going around even so much so that like they like under cut the um the box office predictions um yeah by apparently by about um like 15% or something like that. It was like a 15-20% of like uh Woman King? Yeah the Woman King. Right. The Woman King um came out this week and apparently Hollywood didn't know how to market it. Uh they were just very much like how do we market uh, movies? with black leads
1: and that black are female also, leads yeah uh, i'm know. pretty sure you start with viola davis in any fucking thing right there. yeah
0: like i i don't i don't understand I, whatever it, it doesn't make any sense to me but apparently this is one of those things where like when people talk about like you know like wanting to be a part of hollywood this is one of those things where i want to point to them and be like do you see what this is like, these people made, like, a $50 million action movie movie epic starring a black woman, and they were stumped as to how they should try and, like, market this to, like, because they're assuming that middle America is so racist that they're just like, I, I don't know. How do we market this to Grandma and Grampy in Winnipeg, um you know, like, to come out and see this film? Because they don't want to see Viola Davis be awesome and violent. Like, who doesn't want to see Viola Davis? Did, did people not watch How to Get Away with Murder? Did they not watch or Suicide Squad, yeah. Right, a Suicide Squad. Like she's well established at this point. This isn't somebody that they brought in off the streets. Viola fucking Davis. She is a home. She she is a, a a a name. She is a like a household name. Okay, she's been in people's homes. They know who she. They know where she is. You'd be like, oh, that's the woman from the show that I like. You know what I mean? At the very least, they just show her face and show her beating up a bunch of people. That's it's it's that's all you have to do.
1: That's it's all not, you do with Keanu Reeves. Right. Mean, why would it take
0: more? What the fuck? Anyway, but apparently they didn't know how to market uh, black action movies, especially not uh, black action movies with female leads. So they didn't know how to do it. Uh, apparently also they, you know, the internet, this one took up seemingly all the air in the room. Um, the Little Mermaid uh, was cast as Hallie Bailey, not Halle Berry, but Halle, uh Bailey, um, as the as Ariel and the live action remake of um A Little Mermaid, The yeah. Little Mermaid, and yeah. and just sucked up all the air in the room. Like I could not get away from this. It was like everyone was talking about it. It was so annoying because it's so such a non-issue. And the worst part is like this movie's not gonna be that great. Like, I'm not gonna, I'm just gonna put it out there. It's not gonna be that great. It like, well, a
1: Disney
0: reboot. Yeah. Live it's,
1: action. They you never, know what I mean?
0: But now, like, yeah. it's like this whole thing where, like, we're going to have to, like, as Black people, I know we're going to have to, like, champion the show movie on our shoulders. You know what I mean? Just because, like, if we don't do it, we won't get another, like, we don't get another shot. You know what I mean? It's so weird. We have, like, because yeah. I remember, like, there's a there's a big article, speaking of our previous topic, there's a big article, I think, in Variety, of, like, the uphill climb that it took to get the Woman King made. Um, and how you have all these heavy hitters, um, like, uh, you know, like the Gina, um, Prince Blythewood mm-hmm. and Viola Davis and like all these people who've done like giant projects and stuff like that. And then them like being in these rooms all over town and not being able to like do it. But then Disney patted itself on the back so hard in their like praise of the fact that they made a billion dollars on Black Panther that people were like, huh, well, maybe they will, huh? Huh. And it wasn't until Black Panther came out that people started to come around. And so for me, like, that's, that's like, it's so emblematic of like, you know, everything that Black people say, it's like, we have to do these things. We have to make the shit work. And sometimes that means championing stuff that's not that good. Just because we know we don't show up, they will never do it again. They will never do it again. And it's so fucked up. Yeah, I
1: was going to also say, probably I'm still on Woman King, sorry. Uh, as you said that, I, I pulled up Ye Old Rotten Tomatoes just to kind of see the aggregate here. Mm-hmm. First of all, we have in, a female director, too, directing action, Gina Prince-Lightwood. Right. So that they always get confused, too, in general. You know, females make movies that are action movies. Um, so and that they're not
0: Catherine Bigelow. She's the only one who gets away with it.
1: Yeah and and uh I'm sorry Wonder Woman um
0: Patty Jenkins
1: Patty I was going to call her Penny and that that is wrong Patty yes but but you know another one how many do they want yeah um, <laughs> <laughs> what uh so we so but I just want to say something now I'm just looking at the uh aggregate score the uh critics 128 reviews is 95% fresh the audience score over 1000 reviews is 99% fresh. I'm sorry, critics were 95 and the audience was 99. People are loving the shit out of this Right, I've
0: heard that it's amazing um, from my friends and stuff like that. I wanted to go see it myself this weekend. I just, you know, I'm poor, so... (laughs)
1: <laughs> which is also you know, the
0: reason why the box office is in a slump because people are poor so it was just you know it just between these two stories like you know the whole thing like it's just so stupid and the little mermaid is so inconsequential you know what i mean They're, like people getting to like the stupid thing of you see the stupid arguments of like you can't have black mermaids it's
1: it's a really okay Let's, let's just there's no
0: up. melanin under <laughs> for people who live on That's what they're sea. saying. There's no melanin
1: under Yeah,
0: that's what I'm, they're like. There's okay. like literally people that are like, scientifically, it just doesn't make any sense. <laughs> In a movie that's going to feature singing crabs, are okay, so talking about science?
1: <laughs> mermaids.
0: Yeah, it, it, talking mermaids so and talking creatures. crabs. Yeah you know, and they're, like, it just realistically, it doesn't make sense because of science, you know, like, she shouldn't, you know, she's, she should be white, you know, she, or she should have clear skin, like, uh, I'm, like, come, come on, guys, yeah, on. That,
1: that, I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna say, that's fake ass science, that's, yeah, like, people, it's a magical thinking there,
0: I, I, I don't know, you might, you probably used to this, too, because, you know, people bend over, they do these, they, they, do amazing mental gymnastics in order to sort of like to sort of come at it and from a place that where they're not they're trying so that they don't seem racist like they don't want to seem racist when they do this when they have these stupid hot takes but they are being racist and they are being stupid or they are being bigoted and but like they yeah. want to come at it and be like do this thing where it's just like well i'm just saying like I, I, you know it doesn't make sense and then there was um then there was a the big deal where like there was a company that literally, I don't know if you saw this. There was a company that literally was like, like some sort of startup, um, like a color correction, or no, it was an AI company, and they literally did a screenshot of the the, the same screenshot of, of of everyone that everyone seems to be doing of like Ariel looking up. They did this. They took the screenshot and then they literally painted over her face. And gave her red, like, full-on red hair. So they turned her white. And they were like, we're going to make an alternate version of this movie where we color Ariel white. And That is
1: really racist as fuck.
0: Right. But then they tried to, like, like, we just want to do it. It's a preference. We're not racist at all. Like, it was like a whole thing. And so they got kicked off Twitter. It was like this... (laughs)
1: Are they taking Woman King starring Viola Davis and making I, her white? I don't
0: know, man. Like yeah. it's so fucking. Dumb. I mean,
1: they sh- they shouldn't, but I'm just saying. Like, it seems like if they can't handle one character not being white, Ugh. like why haven't they whited all? The I people? don't know,
0: man. It's fucking stupid. Well, Okay,
1: so I just, as a queer person, you know, I appreciate and keep going on your soapbox as a black man, but as a queer person, it's really fucked up that an allegory about being gay, which is what the limit Little Mermaid was written, like mm-hmm. is. It's Hans Christian Andersen was a gay man in love with a man who could never be with. And he equated that to being a mermaid and him being a person on his love interest being a person on land and that they could never be together. Right. And we're taking that story and they're like, no, it must, this story, which is about a gay man, must have a redheaded white mermaid. And right. it's like, no, all you need is someone who doesn't can't go where they want to belong. That's right. the story. Yeah. And, um, it's, it's, and I don't, it's I, you and, know. Yeah
0: whatever man but like these they, they want to do this stuff but they don't want to be called out to be, for being racist and it's it, it, oh. the mental gymnastics makes me like tired um just like and I listening reminds to it have,
1: like gamer gate where they're like we're just really care we really really care about ethics and video games like, right no, you you're don't. like
0: get the fuck no, out don't. of here man
1: no you don't And what do you know? Once once that's stopped, nobody's patrolling video game ethics. So I guess they found some I guess their nuggies were done. Sorry, that was probably me being uh too incendiary. But it's like pretty easily distracted about when ethics are at stake. So I mean yeah, these people the next time they, they don't have their talking point or you know, someone to fuel their rage, they won't feel that way about it because somebody's telling them to be angry. They don't even have their own feelings
0: speaking of angry people uh you you were uh you were talking about something else uh in the yeah so
1: so i wanted to go you're doing movie drama Mm -hmm. on twitter and it is very apropos and obviously that has to do with our world as well but we had some screenwriter drama um which kind of went most of the week um i don't know if you were here at the beginning of this but basically we had uh I'm going to name, I'm not going to name the villain of the piece, but I'm going to name the victims, uh, because I think those are the people we need to think about here. Um, we had a a person who has been a mentor and established writer, Jeff Howard, um, has been offering to do some Sunday classes for Fee. Uh, a lot of them they, he's done, like, um, you DM him to get on the list. He sends you a donate button uh, and a And a a link and people have opted in for these classes um obviously nobody makes you take the class but if you're interested in him and what he teaches you can do it and usually class is like 30 bucks on a sunday for a couple hours um and so recently he uh decided to make it more official and is offering classes where basically you watch him write or work a la like a cooking show or bob ross you know well
0: that sounds funny
1: um, yeah yeah, and so um, he has a list and launched it and someone did not like it and basically launched one of the arguments that I think happens occasionally in our field, which is that people who are established shouldn't charge newbies and they should be giving that all away for free um, and that, you know, that that this is predatory. And, um, you know, a lot of people came and defended Jeff, who's actually has given away a lot of his free time he's mentored on various labs and fellowships and he's obviously not forcing anybody to take any of his classes so it seemed a little it seemed a little like maybe hot of a take
0: i mean i don't see how it's any different than like you know when folks have like a subscription to folks on twitch you know they watch people play games and things like that and like how is it any different than that
1: yeah and you know I, I, I also felt, I mean, this is just, I'm an educator, you know, I teach at Chapman, um, and the only reason I got invited to come teach is because I've made films. Um, and, you know, many of my professors at Chapman when I went there were professional working filmmakers, and they were getting paid, you know, by the university to come in and teach. And, you know, for some of them, especially, you know, filmmakers, you wind up sometimes in between projects, or you would like to make sure that, you know, you want to impart your knowledge. Uh, you get paid for your time. You know, one of my right. professors was uh, John Batten. You know, and and we had like guest speakers and stuff come all the time, and um, they got compensated for their time because they were doing a job. Um, right, you got
0: paid for their expertise to come and speak. You know, that's that's I the mean, way that's the market how, works.
1: That's how the education system works. That's how most markets work. Um, but it, you know, I I've come across this argument from time to time, which is that people are upset that gurus aren't. A-list writers, um, you know, charging them. And then they get mad that these A-listers also uh, aren't just sitting down and imparting all of their advice all of the time to anyone.
0: So I mean, it's like, it,
1: nobody's I'm, happy.
0: I mean, for me, it's like most of the people that you admire are somewhere on a podcast. So yeah. if you want that information where it's for free, like, you know, there's going to be some overlap, I'm sure, for, you know, for some sort of uh thing and that sort of leads into our topic but we'll get back to that in a second but like there's going to be some overlap in the things that they say and so like just search podcasts you know what i mean you don't have to have the latest and greatest they don't owe you anything
1: yeah And and i think and i think a lot of people say when you first start screenwriting i say this to little blue in the gills you know i would never say come take my screenwriting class even though it's great and i think it's a great environment to create you don't have to, you know. It's not. It's not going to necessarily be the difference between you being a great screenwriter and a good screenwriter, you know, um, or a mediocre one. But you know, like there's so many resources we have: reading mm-hmm. scripts, listening to podcasts, uh, watching movies, a lot of script reading. Um, I, I can't emphasize script reading enough. Um, that you should be doing that are very inexpensive, free, and additionally, if you find a teacher that you resonate with. Paying them for their time to listen to what they have to say is a nice thing to do. You know, it's just why we have Patreon and Twitch accounts. You know, if you're watching somebody and you're like, oh, my gosh, how they're talking, it speaks to me. I like I like what they have to say. You know, there's nothing wrong with them asking to be paid for their time. And you finding value in that time and deciding it's worth the money. Um, But that's like a very personal decision between student and teacher. And so it's really hard to make a across-the-board assessment. Um, so anyway, this thing got worse, uh, which is that a guy by the name of At Zeus Juice, or Zeus, um, decided to name all the names of who was fighting with who about this and who it was about, because they weren't saying it was about Jeffrey Howard. And so then... He, yeah, the
0: DMs came out, there were some screenshots. And, yeah, yeah,
1: and so, yeah, yeah, see, this is where you came into this. Uh, so the original poster... Uh, basically, DM Zeus and said, "You know, you should be siding with these up-and-coming writers like myself. We'll be the people giving you jobs. That's, you know, et cetera, et cetera. You shouldn't go against us." To which Zeus, um, which I always admire his, you know, outspokenness, just posted the DMs because it kind of seemed like a thinly veiled threat. Um, to which Katie, uh, one of one of his followers and a friend on Twitter, uh, basically said. <clears throat> I'm tempted to go to the local writer's meetup and give her kind of like a, a Jersey piece of my mind. Um, the original poster who is, you know, sending these DMs uh, to which the original poster assumed Katie was going to come beat her up at the writer's meetup in Venice that Jeffrey Steinberg runs. And so Jeffrey had to put out like a notice saying that there will be no fighting at the Venice writer's <laughs> meetup. <laughs> and sure enough, obviously it wasn't. Number one saying, I like to give you a piece of my mind doesn't equal having fighting words uh number two uh i don't believe katie had every any intention of going and had other plans um but it was definitely where something got way out of hand on twitter and like regular violence was suggested um it was just ridiculous it was was ridiculous on all fronts
0: oh lord screenwriting drama um
1: I, I said there was some you're like i don't remember i was like oh there was something oh yeah there was something
0: yeah yeah yeah. um so let's move on to our topic of the week um let's have a dialogue about dialogue um
1: you at the
0: end no yes. No. okay yes 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 um and you know speaking of you know um speaking of someone who edits a podcast every week, um, I just, the first thing that I want to say is you should, you can't write the way people speak, but you should listen to the way people talk. Um, I, you know, like I said, I edit this podcast every week and I listen to mostly me, but like, you know, uh, you know, I think we both do it. We're like, we say like the same thing multiple times, like you're making the same point. It's just one of those things that we just sort of understand in human conversation where someone makes the same point like I'm doing right now in this, in this very sentence or so making the same point over okay. and over and over again. And so there are a lot of times in, you know, where I'm trying to cut that kind of stuff out where I am like, oh, you said that like two minutes ago. So let's just cut that out so you can stop doing something like an idiot. Um, so you can't write the way people speak. You cannot, but you should absolutely listen to the way people talk because the rhythms of the way that people speak is something that you should get familiar with, like yeah. the the rhythms and the um, the lexicon of the way that people speak, uh, the 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 accents, the temperaments. The psychology, the the way that people speak, you should absolutely listen to that and something to mimic, but you cannot, like, ape it. Mimic, but do not ape.
1: Yeah, I was going to say, I think it's a it's a common mistake I see in numerous scripts where people realize that they listen to some movies and they say, wow, some of this dialogue is really bad. I want to write <laughs> really realistic. And then it's not a wrong note. It's not a wrong observation. Right. So they say, I want to write really realistic dialogue. So they write really realistic mm-hmm. dialogue. We're like, hey, hey, how was your day? Cool. Do you mm-hmm. want to order? Yeah. Wait, I need to look at the menu. <laughs> I'm thinking about cherry pie. You know, if you were to do that, you could have I mean it would be my dinner with Andre. It would be just a restaurant scene. You'd never get out of it. Right. Um uh, because we don't, you know, we're what we're trying to do in those scenes is get to the core of what the story is about in that scene and move on. I mean, but um, you
0: can so you can totally write like that if there's a metaphor underneath it. If you have these people, yeah. like, like if you have two people who you know are like headed for like some or that they, like they're in the middle of a divorce, you know, this couple is on the way to divorce and they sit down, so it's like, oh, we've never eaten here before. Yeah, yeah, no, I wanted to pick some place that was kind of neutral. Yeah, that's great. Uh, I feel, I feel so, like
1: this is the opening to. Uh, oh gosh, what's that movie with
0: Steve Carell. Uh You're talking about Crazy Stupid Love. Yes,
1: Crazy Stupid Love. I feel like that's it right
0: there. Yeah, right. <laughs> but if you're having like a conversation like where, where the the two are having insanely banal dialogue, but there's a point to it because of the fact that you know what's between the characters, then it makes sense. But like yeah. you know, otherwise, you know, like. No, 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 no. Skip all that stuff. Uh,
1: yeah, exactly. So, so that's absolutely true. And I think on top of that, especially when you're writing a screenplay, you you know the screenplay version of the story, um, you really want us to laser in and about what the scene is about, you know, and and you can you don't want to put too much fluff, extra 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 dialogue in there that's not related because we'll get distracted. We'll be like, oh well, what about our story about the dog or You know, put this lady in her cup
0: of coffee. We're we're gonna get distracted. Yeah, and also just bored. You know, you're if you're reading that and you see that like this dialogue has nothing to say about what's going on in like in front of the characters, um, you know, we get bored. Which is sort of like the like a um, like a corollary to that is this don't realistic dialogue is bad, but dialogue that is realistic to the world is good. Um, You know, you're. You're, the characters are, each one should have their own voice. Um, you know, unless you're, you know, Aaron Sorkin. But even then, I feel like there's, you know, people say that all of Aaron Sorkin's characters sound the same. I'm like, I think they're all, they have, all have his his delivery, but they don't all sound the same. Um, and like, you, you have to write dialogue that is realistic to each one of the characters. You know, there's not going to, you know, the uh, Thor and Black Panther are are not going to speak the same way. You know what I mean? Captain America and Iron Man are not are famously not going to speak the same way. You know, it's you you want their dialogue to be intrinsic to realistic to them. It has to feel like you know um, you know Captain. There's, there's, well, I think one of my favorite lines of dialogue from the from the last like you know quarter century has been, "I understand that reference." Like, yeah. that's a Captain America... Right, everybody knows that he's line. He's so and, proud of himself, You it. Know, <laughs> he's like, I get it. You know what I mean? But that is a Captain America line. That line is, is, is intrinsically Captain America's line. We know where it comes from. We understand him. Like, when he says that, you're like, oh, Cap's so cute. You know what I mean? Because he got a Wizard of Oz reference. It's like, literally... Like, like you know, like that's something that could only come out of his mouth. Uh, this, by the same token, "I am Iron Man" is, is is a is a is a piece of dialogue that is so intrinsic to Tony that when it came out, there it made theaters of people cry. Like "I am Iron yeah. Man," four fucking words, and people are reduced to smoldering human wreckage in the in the theaters. That's what they're doing, like.
1: Yeah. And it's classic. And I'm going to argue this. I mean, we're using, you're using Marvel and there's nothing wrong with that. But people go, sure. oh, but they're superheroes. One of the one of the lessons in dialogue I was originally told and it was an old story for me and I'm already old. So I'm sorry, we're going way back. Okay. Back in the radio days, there was a Jack Benny program. Have you ever heard this story? No. Okay, they did skits over radio as one was wont to do. And the character he played was miserly, right? He was a okay. penny pincher, money focused. Like you had to know that about his character. And his character gets robbed uh in the alleyway. And the, the I'm sorry, attempted rob. The robber's got a gun on him and he's like, dude, your money or your life. And there's the longest pause possible. And finally the robber goes, I said your money or your life. And the character goes, I'm thinking, I'm thinking. <laughs> and this is just one of those classic examples of because we knew the core character's values. Right. You know. You know, and Hermione Granger has the same kind of attitude. They kind of updated it for Hogwarts, you know, in her, I think it's the first Harry Potter. She's like, we can't do this. We'll get, you know, we'll get killed. Yeah, she goes, expelled,
0: yes. And you go,
1: that's so Hermione. It's so Um, Hermione, yeah. Yeah, and it's, it's knowing your characters well enough to know the things they value or the things they're afraid of. Um, and, and playing on them Now, that's obviously good for comedy, if we're like, oh, yes, life and death comparison. Um, but it's good for to know your character so well what they'd be focused on.
0: Yes, exactly. Um, you know, and, like, the, yeah, there's, it's just the, the, the dialogue of characters um, when you're doing them. Um, because a lot, of the, the other thing that I wanted to bring up is that, you're having, even when you, you don't have necessarily scripted dialogue, um, you know, there, there's a lot of people who do like improv movies and things like that. I don't know why you're listening to a screenwriting podcast, but that's neither here nor there. But if you are listening to a screenwriting podcast and you, you sort of like to do maybe improvised dialogue, um, people don't talk in a straight line. Um, I, I recently sort of gave this note to somebody, uh, you know, where, you know, you have these characters like somebody was asking the main character questions and the, ca- the character was just asking them. They were like, you know, there was these penetrating um, uh, questions about their relationship with their mother and people don't answer questions like that. Like, they don't, they'd be like, so yeah, I heard you and your mom were having some trouble. Uh, oh yeah, you know, the, you know, we don't, I, we don't get along because X, Y, and Z, and then it turns into an exposition fest. You know what I mean? But it's like, if someone We does, don't
1: do that. Yeah.
0: Right. We don't do that. If, if somebody You're asks gonna... us uh, like a bald question like that ours it's like, so I heard you and your mom were having problems. We'd be like, well, I don't have a problem, you know, like, you know That's, what I mean?
1: Like, so, yeah, I was going to say, <laughs> we, we as human beings, one of our common colloquialisms when we see people, we like this, hey- you know i'm gonna do this to you rob right now hey rob sure. long sure. time no see how you doing
0: i'm doing okay
1: yeah okay we moved on now is rob doing okay no we you know socially you're just to say good or you know right. not too bad yeah but yeah, really just... if rob were to say wow well, let me well, tell yeah. you about <laughs> well, my therapy session i'll I just tell had you what, what i've movement. had a
0: week um you know yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know, it it's not, people don't answer questions in a straight line, they don't.
1: Or or if a person does tell you all their problems, that's interesting. Right, that's where a character
0: like, trait, right.
1: That's a character trait, I'm like, ooh, an oversharer, what's going yeah.
0: on here? <laughs> <laughs> There's that line in Fight Club that says, strangers with uh, this kind of, uh, strangers with this kind of honesty make me go a big rubbery one, if you know what I mean. Like, you know what I mean, like, that scene yeah. where they're like sharing him and Bob are sharing, <laughs> they're gonna have to open up my pecs again. Um, you know what I mean? Like it's, it's hilarious. Yeah. Like that's the, that's the character trait. Like Bob is an oversharer, like, you know, but like the main character is a cypher. He, that's the whole point. He's tight lit because he's so fucking closed in. So, yeah. you know, like he has to go to these, you know, anyway, but like there's, there's different ways, uh, think about like, you know, that has to sort of speak to subtlety, um, in dialogue, you know, people always wonder, how do you do subtlety? How do you do subtlety in, in dialogue? It's just like, well, you really got to get into like where are these characters coming from? Does this character want to talk about their mother? Does, does this character want to talk about the fact that, that their pecs are getting opened up again? Like it is, like where are they in their journey? And yeah. so if you this person is having a conversation that's going to be painful to them, what most people do is they avoid pain. So yeah. subtlety is really just like mo- some character trying to avoid pain um you know or like or, or or to be petty that's the other thing. it's to be avoid fame or to be petty it's usually one of the two so if you're if your character is one of those people that's like you know a sarcastic asshole but you know they know that like you know they, there's a power imbalance between them and the other character the subtlety in there is like how can i burn this person without them either knowing about it or that I can get away with it like yes. that's you know there's there's got to be something but there's there's every conversation can't be a straight line otherwise it just turns like i said it turns into an exposition fest where characters are literally just saying what's on their minds and then you're just like okay is this the honesty world like who who like what is happening here
1: yeah and i think i think you you pulled out a really great character earlier obviously captain america is mr honesty world right Mm -hmm. for the most part and we know he's gonna just expect honesty and give honesty and stuff and so instead of just having a world of Captain America as we throw them in a, him in a world where people are not going to be honest with him right. so that he's got a conflict. Because if not, it would just be Captain America like buys a coffee, gets a donut, has a nice time. Like, it <laughs> wouldn't
0: be a movie. <laughs> no. no, Captain America has no enemies. He's just the nicest guy mm-hmm. and everybody just understands that it's Captain America. Right. It's just, you know, but while we're talking, while we're giving like these, these exactly. you know, these things yeah. even in like these like uh, in subtlety um and conversations, every line of dialogue has to earn its place, every single one. I mean, in a screenplay, every line has to earn its place. Yes. Um, but it's, it goes double for a dialogue. I feel like because, yes. like, if you're not, if it's not a character beat, if it's not something that the audience needs to know, if it's not upping the tension or, you know, or that, yeah, one of those three, if it's not, like, one of those three, I feel like if it's not doing that, if it's not functional, it's not uh, a character beat or funny, um, and it's not doing anything to tell something the audience knows, it has no place. Um,
1: Yeah, and I think, I think sometimes, I think when you first start writing a screenplay, right, mm -hmm. it seems like you have 90 to 120 pages to fill it feels like you can put anything in right, right. it's just like you're like toss that line and toss that we're never gonna make it there right. it's just and i think i think once i don't mind in like a first draft if you put in what i call like placeholder dialogue where you're mm-hmm. like well, i want her to come in and at least be mad about this situation i don't know what she's going to say yet you know you can put in something you can even say i'm mad about to you about the situation right. i don't know what i'm going to say yet and then move on if you need to. But you don't need to hold on to that for the final script. You know, you need to find something in there or you may find, hey, I already showed she was mad. She came in and she, you know, knocked a glass off the counter like she was some sort of Persian bougie cat, you know? Like (laughs) everyone knows she's this, (laughs) you know? And then like, you don't have to say anything. But I think oftentimes when you're like scrambling to fill it, it feels like you have so much room to put this stuff in there. But well, when you go along in your screenwriting do- journey, suddenly you realize there's less and less space for this filler. It's really... And, and then there's no space at all.
0: Right. And then you find yourself to matter. seeing yeah. if dialogue can do... I, I heard this great piece of dialogue in Last Night in Soho this weekend that just it just set me on fire. There's a line in the movie where uh, Anya Taylor-Joy, yeah. yeah. There's, a, there's a point in the movie where Anya Taylor-Joy is talking to Matt Smith's character and... He's like her sort of uh, like de facto manager, and she says to him, "Do you think I should get a stage name?" And he goes, "Well, what's Sandy short for? Alexandra. And it, like immediately like that you're saying so much with this one line. What's Sandy short for? Alexandra. Like you're giving so much character away in one fucking line. like, oh my god, it was it was it was delicious. That kind of dialogue, to me, is like you're getting exposition and a character beat in the same moment. Um, And that's the kind of dialogue, speaking of, you know, like that's the kind of dialogue that actors love, you know? Like, they love shit like that. And if you've got a script that's full of dialogue that snaps like that, actors will come running to your fucking script. They fucking love it. Especially
1: women, because women wind up being like, a mm-hmm. girlfriend or a mom and right. the fact that they can like if you can deliver those out, that yeah.
0: man, like fucking hey man. That is just a that is just a cracker jack line. Not to you know to use to go back to the, the sort of Jack Penny age, but that is just a cracker jack of a line. Um it's absolutely beautiful. And that's the kind of like things that we're talking about here. Like here, there's brevity. Um there's brevity, sub uh now I'm losing my words, subtlety. Brevity, subtlety, and, uh, like, uh, exposition, all in one line of dialogue. Yeah. And you just, it just, it's delicious. And that's, and (laughs) and, and
1: that's the thing is I think when you write a screenplay and when you realize like you have to do and fit in a lot in 90 pages, Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm very pro the 90 page script. Like if you can do a 90 page script and not break a hundred pages. I'm going to throw this down, Rob, and you're going to say this wrong, and I might get pulled out and dragged on screen screenwriting Twitter. But I think you might be a stronger screenwriter than people who can't necessarily close uh those 100 pages because that means you, you have to pick very specifically. Right. Now, I, don't, I don't think every script is that way, but William Goldman wrote Princess Bride, and it's 90 pages. And if you listen to his talk over the DVD, he's like, if you can do it in 90 pages and it works, then you know it's going to work.
0: Right, right. Yeah um and I can't I can't always do it um
1: to be fair I can't either but yeah it makes me feel good
0: yeah it makes me feel like you can fly um it's one of those things where you know like you're like oh fuck I nailed it I nailed it 90 pages um you know like (laughs) it's one of those things yeah you know where you like and I think a lot of it um you know just comes down to like cutting those darlings the things that you like but you didn't want to lose um like you knew you probably could lose them but like you know but you didn't want to um so you didn't and so you know (laughs) you just you You wanted to to. do it but like you know you're gonna have to in you know if you want to you know play this game with the with the big boys um but like all lines of dialogue have to earn their place that's just they just have to and the reason you know and if they have to do all the other things that we talked about before. Um, and then at the same time, the only person who seems to be like an, an, uh, an exemption to this rule, of course, is Aaron Sorkin, who was able to to um, uh, to turn in like 200 page drafts or like the, the draft for uh, the social network was famously 160. 165 pages. Oh, uh,
1: that was 62. Well,
0: I... Um, 160, 160 some pages, like in somewhere... 60 in the, plus, yeah. Yeah. yeah and but the movie itself is 2 hours long and because Aaron Sorkin's dialogue has a certain uh rhythm to it it has to be spoken in a certain way and so it, that that's one of my favorite stories about dialogue is like um david fincher famously had aaron sorkin over to his house um and he's like i love the script but the studio is not going to greenlight it 165 pages like how long is this And Sorkin goes it's about two hours and he goes wait a minute this is it's actually two hours he's like yeah if you you time it out and so they went through and like had Sorkin read the lines the way they were supposed to be read and Mm -hmm. timed each single one a timed each scene and so when they were rehearsing with the actors they were like guys uh it's, it was a great take, but I promise you the scene is at its best at 4 minutes and 17 seconds. You were at 4 minutes and 21. Like
1: yeah.
0: <laughs> you, you got to get it down. And yeah, that,
1: so, Sherman Palladino is the same way. Amy Sherman Palladino, like her TV episodes can be 90 pages of dialogue. Right.
0: Yeah um and if you're but you have to and, and in that sort of way you have to you have to be good you got to be aaron Sorkin good you got to be amy sherman paladino good like you have to be like like that sort of amazing in order for that to fly
1: like brick like everyone runs around brick talking like oh my god that
0: is one of my favorite fucking i movies. enjoy di- i enjoy the brick. dialogue in that movie is absolute sex um i remember like my me and my friend charlie like we saw that movie and then just like like the way that he like that that he wrote that script and the characters are just like pop they've just fallen out of a Dashiell Hammett novel and they're just like delivering this line like it is breathing like they're breathing and they, they the actors just commit and they're in a high school and it just fucking works um, yeah. like that yeah kind and of- I think.
1: I think, and that's the thing. I think because it's a movie, right? You can, you can heighten the dialogue in that way. You can say, okay, obviously, and this is—I just watched the Heather's musical on Roku as well. Obviously, people aren't necessarily in real life running around saying these things nonstop, you know. Um, you know, but uh, the fact that we're saying, but this is their world, and their world feels like right. a natural Hammett novel, you know, even right. if you know, the, the character in real life, if we didn't have this kind of uh, hyper-reality, we probably wouldn't be talking like a femme fatale, you know, in their mind and their version and their right. dynamic they are. And we buy it and it gives it style.
0: Exactly. Like like we said earlier, it's not realistic dialogue, but it's dialogue that's realistic to the world. To you know, their it, world, yes. Right, yeah. Um, And to the characters themselves, you know, you have like, they, they, I mean, but there are so many good examples of of lines that are doing so much in that in that fucking in that fucking movie, just yeah. you could oh it is I would I would love to go to like the Alamo Draft House that they could have like a like um like a brick quote along. God, I love that movie. I just I I love it so much.
1: I think he got away with it. Um, mm-hmm. and was able to make something like that, and it's the same re- thing we're kind of talking about here with dialogue. I want to bring this back around. He had a very strong sense of his characters and what his story was about. Yes. It was the, you know, I've been I've been working in my, with my students this week in class, and one of the things I'm kind of emphasizing is the more specific you get, the more you've created art. You know, right. by not just pick, picking an everyman character, um, although they can be useful in some stories for saying, "No, here's a person. They live in this city. This is what they care about. These are what their friends are." You know, once we kind of like take that. Satellite of Earth, and we zoom in on somebody in their life in the middle of a crisis. Suddenly, we're like, whoa, we're here,
0: right? Um,
1: and you don't, don't you? I would almost argue it'd be hard to not hit that nail hard enough, like in screenwriting. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. Um, I think you're right, and I think we might have to do another episode on maybe like stylized dialogue where we talk about more like the the the, the bricks, the sort of um, the 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 sorkins the who i feel like is our modern bard he is our our modern shakespeare um you know because
1: if shakes well well i'll allow it i doubt shakespeare was just shakespeare but then again we know that right uh you know uh, sorkin has a cadre of research writers that are that are there and you know mm-hmm. practice time and helping much like the the uh michelangelo had you know Trainee painters painting the skies. So, you know, maybe it's maybe it's a very apt uh description.
0: Yeah. I really think he's our modern screenwriting bard. Um, but like, you know, we might have to do another episode of, of stylized dialogue or like the goods and the bads and stuff like that, or something like that. But let's move on to what are we watching, consuming, writing this week. Um, speaking of of something with like a really uh Really recognizable cadence of dialogue. I started the Good Place um, from where oh, I, I love it. Yeah, I, I had still haven't finished it, so I'm going to finish it th- this time. Um, I, I started from uh, season two, and I, it's it's so it's such an easy binge, especially yes. on Netflix. It's it's the, just about the easiest show to binge. You will laugh and laugh and laugh and laugh. It's impossible to turn off. It is just it is gripping. Then I don't know how these writers do it. It is a gripping narrative about moral philosophy, and it is just it is just riveting. Like it is almost impossible to stop. Like you can it, just it's, it's
1: delightful. Yeah.
0: It's and, like the 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 cinematic version of popcorn. You just keep shoveling it in your mouth. It's just ugh. And, um,
1: and you know, I feel a lot of representation because Eleanor mm-hmm. Shaw is like the most Arizona Arizona <laughs> i ever met. Um like whoever is writing or created her backstory knows Arizona I'm a kid right. who grew up in Phoenix and I was like oh my god I am a desert trash bag <laughs> you know like I you know we we've been thinking about ourselves that way for a while so I was I thought it I, it spoke to me um it's it's a delightful show it's really great if you want to look at character dialogue Just
0: yeah all of the so good
1: all of the characters speak so cool the main three four you know you've got Eleanor who's i going to do a little, you know, try to do the right thing, but it's a little selfish and shysteak, you know, and cunning, right? He's like, how can I get out of this? the easy right. way? You have Chidi, who's like the the morally good character, you know? He's, he's the, the worrywart,
0: the, the... But he worries the, and he wants yeah. to
1: do good. Yeah, right. he wants to do good. Where she, it's tail Shop is, I want to serve me, you know? And then you have Tahani Aldermill, who's like, basically like, I want everyone to see me. Right. And then you have Jason Mendoza, who doesn't know what's going on, <laughs> and he's just too stupid to understand. Oh, and, I
0: love him so much. And, I love him.
1: because you know their personalities so well, like, you can spot one of their lines on the page, you know? You can basically be like, oh, you know, somebody's throwing a party. Tahani better have a line about this because she's going to want to be the center of attention right exactly
0: somebody's name dropping another party like like you know they've been to it like at some celebrity's house it's probably tahani like you know what i mean like yeah yeah. um just you could there exactly you could take the that's a character that's a show whose characters are so defined you could pull the character names out and probably tell whose line it was in almost every single point like yeah. you can look at it and just be like, "Yeah, that's a Tahani line," um, you know what I yeah. mean? Or that's an Eleanor yeah. line, that's a Jason line, that's a Michael line, that's a Janet line. Um, yeah. Like yeah. you can just you can just tell. Like the characters are so well defined, and that's that's ideally how good your dialogue should be. You should be able to take away the the, the names, and people should still be able to tell what character is speaking. Yeah. Um, like that sort of you know way. It, we all want to get that good we don't always hit that, but man, when you, when you do, like you, you that's whatever you're writing that's like, that is going to sell. It's going to get noticed. It's it, yeah. like, it's just one of those things, but yeah. So I'm watching the good place. Uh, I'm going to get to the end of that. I started Atlanta season four, um, which I'm very sad because the season four is the final season. And when no, it's gone, I
1: didn't know that.
0: Yeah. Oh. And when it's gone, there will be nothing like it on television and we will be in a hole. Um, there is just there is you no specifically
1: sub- but also everyone else. right
0: there is just no substitute for what Atlanta is like the first episode features uh multiple storylines that feature riffs on Jean Paul Sartre's no exit it follows um <laughs> like <laughs> the <laughs> the George Floyd uh riots uh-huh. um like and it just it is it is absolutely delightful. It's just it's like you're one how are they getting away with this in 30 minutes? These people pack so much story into like one 30-minute thing, you're watching it and you're just like, I don't, I what? How are they doing this? How are they getting away with this? I don't understand, but it's it's brilliant. Um, and Stephen Glover, who was Donald Glover's brother. Um, doesn't get enough credit, because everybody gives Donald Glover credit because he's, like, the face of the show, but Stephen Glover is is the head writer of the show, Um, and he is, his episodes are my favorite. You can always tell when it's a Stephen Glover episode. He wrote my favorite episode of the series, which is the second episode, like, the prison episode. It is absolutely one of the funniest things I have ever seen, and it just, it just hits you and just never lets go, and he, all of the major episodes that were, like, um, like that has stood out where people have like tried to do it. Like the one about the visible car and the one, the Teddy Perkins line of uh, Teddy Perkins episode, the, the, the second episode, like all the, the episodes, uh, I think also the, the band episode, the one where the guy's like, I'm a 35 year old white man. Um, I'm pretty sure all of those are Steven Glover episodes. And he's just, he is just a talent. He like independent of his brother. He is a fucking talent um that dude just but apparently he's just he's uh he's press shy he doesn't like to do a lot of press but that that dude is a fucking writer he's he can write his ass off
1: that's i think what attracted many of us to be writers we were hoping that we could just like you know stay in our room and get pale and write things and just shove it under the door (laughs) uh i really hope for that and then people were like no you need to have a social media and i was like no
0: no like come to um,
1: this networking
0: event? No. Uh, yeah. yeah. So, um, in addition to uh, you know starting Atlanta and and watching Good Place, I also rewrote and rewrote a scene from my latest script. Um, I finally got back on the horse. I was supposed to write two scenes, but I did write one. Uh, and so, you know, I'm doing that, and I'm trying to get into the second scene. I will finish it before the end of the weekend. I do realize that. Is in two hours, but I'm 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 optimistic. Well, uh, I mean,
1: and Pacific time, you have more time. Right, right,
0: right. Okay. <laughs> well maybe I'll do it finish the weekend by specific uh Pacific standard time. So, you know, that's that's okay. 3 a.m. So we'll we'll give myself a little extension. Yeah,
1: there you
0: go. What about you, Kate Tuxford? Uh
1: okay, so I've been watching She Hulk. I'm caught up with that. Um, I am also about to watch Handmaid's Tale tonight. Um Good I have, luck. I have to go buy wine first. <laughs> Cause I like to just go fuck this shit and throw back half a glass Yeah, of
0: man. That shit. shows the fucking that yeah. that is a fucking yeah. There yeah. you go. Uh
1: I had to wait until I had a night where, you know, tomorrow I can wake up and, and not regret my wine choices. So um so I'm doing that. And uh, also movie wise, I watched sorry, I wrote it down. I swear I did. Uh oh, I saw the Heathers um musical and also right. oh i'm reading dan mervish's book the subversive the cheerful subversive screenwriter's guide as am i yeah i have it on my audible and it is it's quite delightful
0: yeah it's um, hilarious
1: it's very funny he's he's got a lot of good humor in there and then as far as writing i'm working on some shorts right now um, because i'm still waiting on my feature getting everything together again and um, Julia and I have this short film that in our minds eye is already made. We haven't actually made it yet. And it is a like 12 minute mockumentary uh, about a girl whose boyfriend wants to have butt sex. And it's a mockumentary following her, like asking people about you know their experiences with that, trying to decide like Nathan Fielder style whether or not she's going to go for it. Um, and so I am working on a butthole documentary is what I'm
0: saying. Like, You I'm know what, This for that. that's actually something that people seem to do. People actually go through like this whole thing about like somebody asked them to put it in the butt and then they're just like, they go on like this whole like spiritual journey. Yeah. Of, like, whether or not to like to, to do it in the butt and it, like it's like this whole weird thing that like Exactly, exactly.
1: <laughs> that's what we we discovered amongst <laughs> amongst some friends privately, no names are I've heard
0: this on so many podcasts where people just went yeah. on like this complete spiritual journey.
1: And the other thing about it is since we thought about this concept based on, you know, a anonymous person's story, um everywhere we go we see butthole iconography. Um, And so we've been just kind of um, this is way too specific for this podcast, but, you know, everything kind of looks like a butthole. And so we just, you know, started coming up with these series of images uh, walking around, you know, that we're going to put into the mockumentary as well, because it just kind of seems to haunt them. Um, so we've been doing that and, um, and and building some scenes around it. But about twelve about twelve minutes. Uh, I don't think we should go for feature length, but butthole documentary. I think you got to make it short and sweet. But maybe I'm wrong. We'll see what the people want.
0: Yeah, <laughs> you may get more than you bargained for with that. You may make the this is spinal type of butthole documentaries. Um, you, know.
1: you know, one could leave a worse impact. <laughs> <laughs>
0: he's like nice work if you can get it i don't give a fuck um yeah. this week's resource uh, <laughs> google screenplay dialogue and you'll get a ton of stuff but this week's resource is from lessons from screenplay which is one of my favorite youtube uh channels um and it has a, a specific example of how to write a battle with words uh aptly titled Wr- writing a final battle and it uses speaking of sorkin uh a few good men as its example um, so I sort of give it dual points for for a being a, a thing about how to write dialogue and B being a, um, uh, a Sorkin sort of standing uh, video at the same time. So I, I I would love recommending it. it's it's absolutely great and it sort of uh, talks very much what uh, about what we talked about, like how the characters, what place are they in, and then using the their, the, the place where each character is narratively to build this like amazing standoff between Nicholson and Cruz uh, in the you can't handle the truth scene, which is one of the most famous dialogue. speaking of, of dialogue and stuff like that, um, Sorkin is, is famous for saying, um, you know with the villain, you should always, uh, their dialogue should always be them making a case to God uh, for their own sort of righteousness. And Jack Nicholson definitely does that during that, that scene. And so it's a, it's a fantastic um, video as well as a fantastic channel. If you're not, if you haven't watched uh, the videos on Lessons from the Screenplay, you are missing out. Uh, it is definitely worth a subscribe. They haven't done anything in a while, but the video videos that they have up there are pretty fucking great. Um, and I really enjoy it. So uh, it's sort of a, that one in specific, and then come for the, the writing of Final Battle video and stay for the rest of the channel. Um, so awesome. Yeah. And that is our show, Screenwriting from the Trenches. can currently be found on Anchor, Apple, Google, and Spotify Podcasts, as well as KevinOnMart.com. Our screenwriting Twitter drama theme song was written by Zach Morrison and used with his permission. And hey, since we're a new podcast, we'd appreciate it if you dropped us a like or rated us five stars on whatever platform that you patronize because
1: algorithms
0: for questions for us that we can and we'll answer on the show email me at Robert you can also find us on Twitter I'm at spectaclemofo
1: I am at k underscore tux
0: Zach is at Zach Morrison 18 and these things as well as my YouTube channel series where I have a digital series how to make a movie for a thousand dollars which has been rebranded into the cinema challenge series uh, will all be linked in my show in the show notes. Thanks so much for listening. We hope that you will continue to do so.
1: Now, stop procrastinating. Those pages aren't going to write themselves.